I just start coughing incessantly. And um, if that's the case, I'll try to cover up the mic, but I can't make any promises because that would be really obnoxious if I just started coughing really loudly in the middle of my message, but it'll probably happen. So just be prepared for a really loud, obnoxious noise. We are, um, so we're doing this study on Hebrews, and we um, have take a, taken a break from it last week. Jeremy stood up and gave um, a, a message called My Story, and it was a great, fantastic message. Um, and I would love for us to just, every once in a while, have someone stand up and tell their story, to, to give a testimony, to show how God's worked in their lives. I think that's just a very powerful message to be given. Um, so if you ever feel like you God is leading or tugging you to do what Jeremy did, to stand up and say how God's worked in your life, um, I would love to have you do that. Um, so just keep that in mind. But we're continuing this series on Hebrews. We have two more Sundays on it. Today we're talking about atonement, and uh, that's a big word. It's a big church word, and we're going to try to unpack it to the best of our ability this morning. So I, I hope you're excited and, and ready to do just that. Um, I'm going to open us up with a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into the word. <clears throat> Father, Father God, this morning, as we are all gathered here, as we have worshipped you and remembered that nothing is better than you, nothing is greater than you, God, I just pray that we're focused now on your word and how your greatness is evident within that, within scripture, and how your truth is permeating and, and trying to get within our hearts. God, help us to open our hearts this morning. Help us to show you our dark, darkest parts and desire for you to bring in the light. God, speak through me this morning as we unpack what atonement means, what true atonement means through the blood of your Son. God, uh, open our eyes, open our ears, and help us to know what you're speaking to us this morning. It's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen. Uh, before I get started with the message, just one quick reminder. We do have a board meeting after service today. We forgot to put that on the bulletin, so just keep that in mind. We'll meet over there. Okay, so atonement. We're talking about the great atonement. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, if you remember from three weeks ago, I said the book of Hebrews is the book that is the greater than book. It's talking about how Jesus is greater than blank. Jesus is greater than the old covenant. Jesus is greater than the old revelation. Jesus is greater than the old high priest. He, he's the greater aspect of our faith. He's, he's what we're to put our faith in. He is the, the realization and revelation of what came before. And so this morning, we're talking about Jesus as the great atonement. Jesus as essentially the great cover-up. And that word cover-up, <clears throat> if I say that word, a lot of you might think of things like in pop culture where someone makes a mistake and they try to cover it up, or um, a big company does something wrong and they try to cover it up, or an athlete messes up and they try to cover it up so they don't get kicked out of sports. There's all sorts of cover-ups in government and, and pop culture and, and, and businesses and, and corporations. And, you know, essentially a cover-up is when you take the truth 
and you take a false narrative and cover up the truth so that no one sees the truth, they only see the cover-up. And a good cover-up means you're never ever, no one's going to know what actually took place. You're only going to see the cover-up. The, the thing is, though, there's a lot of really bad cover-ups that have taken place throughout history. And the one that I'm, I want to draw your attention to right now is the 1971 Ford Pinto. Does anyone know about the 1971 Ford Pinto? Looks like Steve does. <laughs> <laughs> he, had two, he had two Ford Pintos. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, you might find out today that you should have gotten some money from Ford on that. The 1971 Ford Pinto was an explosive issue with Ford, literally. It had, there was a faulty uh, exhaust uh, or faulty um, uh, filter within the engine. And what happened is fumes from the fuel would get into that filter and it would just combust. And it was an issue with the 1971 Ford Pinto and the cover-up was that Ford knew about it. They had engineered this model and started producing them and then they found out that there was an issue with it and it would cost $11 to fix each Ford. Cost $11 to fix it, but they decided it would be cheaper if they just paid off the people whose Fords blew up instead of fixing all of them. And so what ended up happening is these Ford Pintos started blowing up all the time and Ford would just pay off the people and cover up that they actually knew what was wrong before this took place. And they thought, well, no one's going to sort through mountains of paperwork in order to find out that we covered this issue up. Well, a man named Mark Dewey did. Uh, I think that's right. Mark Dowie, Dowie, I don't know. He was an investigative reporter for Mother Jones magazine. I've never even heard of that before. But he sifted through memos, piles of memos from Ford and found out in the memo that they had written that they had done the numbers and realized that it would cost them about $75 million less to just pay people off after their Ford blew up than it would to fix the $11 issue on all these different Fords. And so Mark wrote this expose and brought it, this to light for the entire world to see. And Orange County in, in California decided to put a lawsuit up against Ford for $150 million. So they, their cover-up didn't work. It, it was unsuccessful. But um, Steve, I, I hope you were able to get your, your money's worth for it. If you just drive fast enough, it well, <laughs> that's one way to look at it, I guess. <laughs> There's been cover-ups all throughout history, actually. You know, we can look back at Egyptian records of their dynasties and see that even in, in those times, they were trying to cover up mistakes from their pharaohs or mistakes from, from the children of pharaohs. The cover-ups have been going on throughout history, and we have them in in the recent times with with Watergate you have them with with just pop culture and and celebrities trying to cover up things that they've done wrong in in order to hide the truth but the entire point of a cover up is is just that it's to mask the truth to to prevent people from knowing what's truly going on because the truth is ugly and they don't want people to see the ugly truth the issue is most cover ups aren't ever able to adequately cover up the truth fully enough so that people don't find out what's actually going on. The truth always ends up coming through. And cover-ups, especially bad cover-ups, speak to what atonement is. Atonement is 
a cover-up of our sin. It's us trying to mask the ugly truth of our flesh, the ugly truth of our desires, with a sacrifice, with, with this system of, of basically putting a band-aid on a gaping wound. And, and I'll unpack that illustration in a little bit, but the question we're going to ask today is, is you know, what is atonement? How do we unpack atonement? How do we study atonement, and how do we apply this aspect to Jesus? How is Jesus greater than the atonement that came before, that came within the Old Testament? And, and normally I have um, slides with with basically all my points on it. I forgot to do that. I, I guess I'm rusty after two weeks. Uh, forgot to make those slides, so you won't have that this morning. Um, but hopefully you can everyone can listen and, and pay attention um, because there is a lot of technical terms with, with the idea of atonement. And there's a lot of church words like that, church words like atonement, um, that words that we throw around a lot, sacrifice, atonement, propitiation, all those big words that we use, and sometimes you're like, eh, I don't know what that means, so I'll just kind of fall back in my seat. Um, if you enjoy podcasts, my, my friends and I were actually starting a series on our podcast called Church Words, and we're looking at some of these big words that we use in church that um, we might not fully understand. So if you're curious about that, you can tune into that next week. That starts this Thursday, but um, there's my, um, my infomercial for the day. But atonement began very early on in human history. The, the, the process of covering up our mistakes began all the way back in Adam and Eve. And, and we'll look at that example here. Turn with me um, to Genesis chapter 3, and we'll start in, in, verse, in verse 7. You know, Eve has just fallen to the temptation of desiring her own wants through the serpent's eyes over God's. She desires this piece of fruit. God tells them, you can't have this fruit, but she desires it anyway. She gives in to her desire. She sins because she goes against what God desires. And the action, what ends up happening, it says in verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. So what takes place here is Adam and Eve sin. They go against what God desires out of them. They desire their own desires, and sin enters the world. And upon sin entering the world, Adam and Eve realize they're woefully inadequate. They can't stand before God's presence. They hide from God's presence, but they also cover themselves they cover up their flesh because they realize that their flesh isn't worthy to be in God's presence. This is the first act of atonement, the first action of covering themselves up. And, and God then, in verse uh, 9, says, So the Lord called out to man and said to him, Where are you? And he, and he said, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then God asked, Who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree I commanded you to eat? So, God is upset with them because he, he says up until this point, they didn't know they were naked. Up until this point, they didn't know they were inadequate. They were just okay with being in God's presence. They desired God, and that fulfilled everything. But now they have sinned, and they realize that they're inadequate. So, so what sin does is it separates us from God. It shows us the ugly truth of our flesh, that our flesh is not capable of being in God's presence. And we have to cover ourselves in order to change that. 
The issue is, as we see here with Adam and Eve, fig leaves aren't capable of fully covering up your sinfulness. This doesn't work. And, and the example that I, I would like to give on our own ability to atone for our sins is like putting a Band-Aid on like, just like one of those little tiny like Scooby-Doo Band-Aids, putting that on like a gaping wound. That, that's what atonement is from a, a fleshly perspective. What Adam and Eve are doing here is putting a Scooby-Doo Band-Aid on, on a massive wound. Okay? It's just not going to fully cover your sin. Dirt's going to keep creeping in there. Blood's going to keep coming out. It, it, you can't, we can't, we are incapable of adequately atoning, covering up our sins, our mistakes, our separation from God. We can't cover that up. And so what happens then, you know, God goes on in, in chapter 3 to say they're punished, they're going to be kicked from the garden. He, he gives the proto-evangelium saying that one day I'm going the, to crush Satan's head with, with the woman. He goes on and gives all this stuff. But then he casts them out of the garden because he says, if, if you're incapable to be in my presence, then you can't stay in the garden. Okay? You, you've messed up. You've made the mis- this mistake. Your atonement cannot adequately cover your sins, so you can't be in my presence. So God kicks them from the garden, but first, the first thing God does is shows us the proper way to atone for our sins. Look at verse 21. It says, The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. Now, you don't often realize this because all you think is, well, they were naked, so obviously they were cold, so God just wanted to give them some warmth, you know, so they don't walk around in their skivvies or something like that. That would be awful. But God's not just giving them clothing. He's not just giving them warmth. He's doing... He's enacting the first sacrifice. He's beginning the sacrificial system that will be unpacked later in, in, in the book of Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. He's slaughtering an innocent animal and using that animal to cover Adam and Eve. This is the first atonement. This is the first atonement that is properly shown to us by God. And then eventually, in, in, in those books that Moses writes, we're going to see how to properly sacrifice, how you slaughter the animal, how you're, which animal you're supposed to choose, when you're supposed to perform atonements for what type of sins. And, and the book of Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy is packed full of how you're supposed to engage in the sacrificial system that God begins in Genesis chapter 3. And that sacrificial system is this type of system that the Jews were living in at the time of Jesus. The only way they could adequately cover their sin was to follow suit with what God did for Adam and Eve, was to slaughter an innocent animal and let that, that animal's blood cover their flesh, essentially, to cover their sin. That's what God did for Adam and Eve. That's what he told Moses to do with the Israelite people. That's how you atoned and covered up your mistakes. Now, the issue is, as what, what we're going to come to see, is that sort of atonement doesn't adequately cover us for eternity. It doesn't cover up the inf- infinite nature of our sin, and it really only covers our flesh. And so let's turn to Hebrews now. Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to be in here the rest of, uh, rest of our time together. Starting in verse 6, the author is talking about the, the sacrificial system that is installed by the, the priest, which 
began with God's direction to Adam and Eve, and then God's instructions to Moses. And he says in verse 6, with these things prepared like this, the priests enter the first room repeatedly performing their ministry, meaning repeatedly offering sacrifices on behalf of the people. But the high priest alone enters the second room, and he does that only once a year, never without blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people had the sins the people had committed in ignorance. Now, the author's talking about the, the Day of Atonement, which is basically the one day a year that we, we talked about a few weeks ago that the priest enters the most holy place, the Holy of Holies. And that priest has to be clean and cleansed, and they, write, they put that, that rope around his ankle in case that he's not perfectly cleansed so that if he dies, they just pull him out, which is just a crazy thought to think of, that they had this system in place that if someone died in God's presence, they just dragged him out. But they had this system set up so that the priest could come before God, offer one sacrifice for all of the people, and it would last for up to a year. And then they would have to do the whole thing over again. And this is on top of everyday sacrifices, everyday ritual cleansings that, that the Jews were supposed to perform. And, and the author is talking about how, how crazy this just really seems. But to the Jewish people, as they're reading this, this is just normal. This is how you worship. And in verse 8, it says, The Holy Spirit was making it clear that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed while the first tabernacle was still standing. This is a symbol for the present time during which gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the worshiper's conscience. They are physical regulations and only deal with food, drink, and various washings imposed until the time of the new order. So here's what the author is saying. is Right now, we have this sacrificial system. We offer these things, but they don't do anything for our conscience. They're to cover up our sinful flesh. They're to cover up our mistakes on the outside, but they don't have anything to do with the inside. The word conscience that is used here is essentially another word for spirit or another word for, for soul, for in, internal matters. And, and, and the author is saying that these sacrifices, the sacrificial system we have, was never meant to cover up our internal sin. Because a physical created animal cannot adequately cover our internal sin, our spiritual sinful nature. It can't cover that. It can cover our flesh, but it can't cover our spiritual selves. It is inadequate to do so. And that's what the author is saying here is that, hey, guys, I, I know we've grown up in this religion. I know we've grown up in this system, but this does not cover the infinite nature of sin and the eternal consequence that we have because of our infinite sin. It doesn't cover it because it's not spiritual. In order to cover our spiritual sin, we have to have a spiritual sacrifice. So, essentially, the author is saying, the sacrificial system as it stands is just a religious band-aid. A religious band-aid covering a gaping wound, and it just doesn't work. So, what are we to do? He goes on in verse 11 to explain what the great atonement is. He says, But Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. In the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow sprinkling those who are defiled sanctify the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences, consciousnesses from dead works so that we can serve the living God. Now, here, here's what 
the author is saying, this isn't working. Sacrificial system does not cover us. We, we are sinful. It covers our sinful flesh, but it doesn't cover our sinful spirit. A created animal, even without spot or blemish, cannot cover our sinful spirit. We have to have a non-created being who is outside of our reality, who is without spot or blemish, who is infinite and eternal. That's what has to cover our spirit because that's the only way that our infinite sin and our eternal consequence can be redeemed. And so what is Jesus? Well, Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He was never created. He has always existed with the Father. Jesus is without spot or blemish. He was tempted. He lived as a human man, even though he was God, and he never made a mistake. He's without spot or blemish. Jesus is infinite and eternal. He wasn't created. He lasts forever. He's infinite because he shares all the same characteristics of God because he is God. So Jesus is the only sacrifice that doesn't just cover our flesh, but covers our spirit. The sacrifices, the sacrificial system that the Jews had up until this point, they just covered the flesh. They were finite. You had to repeat them. You had to do them all the time, every year, every month, every time you messed up. You had to ritually cleanse yourself. But the author is saying, but with Jesus, he cleanses us with one sacrifice because he's infinite and it lasts for over our infinite sin. And it covers our eternal punishment because he's eternal. And he wasn't created. With that in mind, we have to remember that in Jesus, in our worship of Jesus, we're worshiping an atonement, a cover-up of a spiritual nature that can't be covered up in any other way. That's what the author of Hebrews is writing. And he's writing this to a people who would not have understood this before. However, Jesus had taught on this to his disciples. And we often miss it. Jesus doesn't talk often about the sacrificial system or, or what it means to have eternal cleansing. But if you read Luke chapter 22, right before he's giving himself up on, on the day of his death, he's meeting with his disciples in the upper room, and he does the first installment of why we gather here every Sunday morning. He performs communion. Verse 22, verse 14, it says, When the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until, I fulfilled, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, he gave it to them and said, This is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after the supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So Jesus is saying, my body is about to be broken. My flesh is about to be broken. In the same way that an animal is slaughtered, is broken for covering up the sins of the flesh, my body is going to be broken to cover up the sins of your flesh, but my spirit is going to pour out and that blood is going to cover your spirit, your sinful spirit. And he's telling this to his, to his disciples and he's saying, do this, take this bread, break it amongst yourself, take this cup, 
share it amongst yourselves. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, this wasn't just something they did every week. It wasn't something they did every month or every quarter. This was something that you did every single day. Jesus wasn't just telling his disciples, remember this whenever you guys get together on a Sunday morning, or remember this whenever you all come together as a as a big church for a big quarterly event or when you come together for a big meal. He's saying every single day when you break bread, when you eat, every single day when you wash that food down with something to drink, remember that my atonement is different. This would essentially be like, like doing whatever it takes for you to, whatever you do most in the day, attaching that to a specific action. An example is when, when I first started ministry, and still to this day, I use sticky notes all the time. You can ask Wendell. I would have sticky notes all over my desk. I'd put them on the wall next to my desk. I, I eventually got a, a bulletin board, a small bulletin board, and, and started putting the sticky notes on there. And that bulletin board sits behind my desk now. And I, I would use these sticky notes because I couldn't remember anything if I didn't have it on a sticky note. And what I started finding out is that I wasn't always in my office. So if I didn't have my sticky notes with me, I would still forget it. Come to find out, there's a sticky note app for your phone. And I always have my phone on me. So I got the sticky note app on my phone, and at the front of my phone, every single day, I can look at it and say what it is that I have to remember to do, because my phone's always on me. Well, Jesus is telling his disciples, you have to eat every day. You have to drink every day. When you do, remember the fact that my atonement is the only atonement you need. Remember the fact that my atonement creates a new covenant, a better covenant. Remember that my atonement is eternal and infinite because I am eternal and infinite. I cover your spiritual sin, not just your fleshly sin. And that's what the disciples lived by. The disciples didn't just come together one day a week and remember this. They didn't just come together once a month. They gathered with all of their believers their families, every time they sat down, they broke the bread, they passed the cup, they remembered what it was that Jesus did that brought them together. It was his atonement. It was his covering for sin. And I want to conclude with how the author of Hebrews concludes this section in verses 23. He says, Therefore it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves cannot be purified with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one, but into heaven itself, so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. He did not do this to offer himself many times as a high priest enters the sanctuary yearly with blood of another. Otherwise, he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world, but now he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for the people to die once, and after this judgment, so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear for a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. That, that's just a, a beautifully written assessment of what Jesus came to do. We were incapable of covering our sin. We were incapable of adequately presenting ourselves before God. And so what did Jesus do? Jesus died so he could stand before God in his actual presence, not just in the holy of holies of the temple, but before God on the heavenly throne and say, I'm covering the price for them. 
Yeah, they've sinned, God. Yeah, they've sinned, Father. And they cover them, their flesh up, but I'm standing before you to cover up their spirit. I'm standing before you to say, they are cleaned on my behalf. That's what the atonement of Jesus did. And if we haven't been cleansed by that atonement, if we haven't let his blood wash over us, if we haven't accepted the fact that he broke his body for us, then we're not going to be with him in his eternal throne. And so I urge you, if you haven't made that decision, let his atonement wash over you. Let his covering cover you. Because without that covering, there is not anything that can cover up our infinite sin, that can bear our eternal consequence. And if he has covered you, if you have accepted that spirit, if you have accepted that covering, we're not called to remember that once a week. not called to remember that monthly or quarterly. We're called to live it out every single day. Every time we break bread, every time we drink, put it on your phone on a sticky note, remember it and live by it, that Jesus paid the one price so that we can have eternity with him. He didn't just cover our flesh. He covered our spiritual sin that we were incapable of covering ourselves. That's the great atonement that we find in Jesus that the author of Hebrews writes about. And I pray and I hope that if you don't have that atonement, you seek out how to get it how to gain it, how to be baptized in his death and resurrection and have his spirit fall upon you. And if you do have it, remember it every single day. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, your atonement through Jesus covers the spiritual nature of our sin that that we could never be capable of covering ourselves. And that word seems like a big word. It seems like it's hard to understand. But in reality, Lord, it just means that we are unworthy and incapable of coming before you because of our sin. But Jesus covers that sin. Remind us of that every single day for those of us that have your spirit upon us. And for those of us that don't, create a conviction within us to be filled by your spirit, to be covered by your blood so that we too can enter into your presence for all of eternity and be with you because of the sacrifice that you gave us. Lord, we love you so much. We're so thankful for all that you have done, for the love that you have for us. Help us to continually remember your grace and your love that was expressed through your atonement. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.